Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. I'm Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. And I've been out for a few weeks, um, so it's, right. it's really, really good to be back. Yeah, yeah. and honestly, they took care of it really great. Thank you for having me back, guys. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Um, this, this episode, though, we are going to be commenting on uh, on David Smalley's interview and kind yeah. of... Uh, so we don't really know how many parts it's going to be, but because it was a long conversation, we're splitting up, splitting it up into more um, digestible chunks, mm-hmm. I guess. Ooh, ooh, good language. And so um, I know we want to unpack a lot of different things, but is it okay if I just ask a question right off the bat of kind of, because I wasn't here and right, I have now right. listened back through yep. to the audio, I have questions. I know our listeners probably have like some things and I know that you guys have been thinking through it. Yep. So the the first thing that comes to mind is right at the beginning when he's kind of talking about um, when he started questioning any sort of beliefs. He talks about when he was David was being baptized, mm-hmm. and he said he was hit with this concept of how does punishing the innocent pardon the guilty? Um, and so I guess with that, he also had a question of why why would God create this plan that he has that is so harmful to so many people, including his own son, if he's in charge of everything, he can make this whole thing so much easier. So I know he's probably not the only person who's asked that question. So when that when, when that question is posed to you, <laughs> how what what do you kind of start thinking of and yeah, but you can go for it. My initial thoughts are always None of that is an argument against God's existence, first of all. It's whether or not you like how he does things, I think. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't deal with any evidence for or against there being a God. The The problem would be, and, and this is what I, I think came up a lot in the conversation with him, it's like, but that is weird, or I don't understand why he chose that. Couldn't he have just? And so I, I think right away, the I just I think I would point that out, that that has nothing to do with whether or not God exists. It's mm-hmm. that you just don't like it or it's confusing mm-hmm. or it seems weird to you. Um, My opinion of how God is doing something. Yeah. yeah. I, I would have done it different. That's a, that's a, and it's a, I think what you're saying, it's a fair question of Christian doctrine. Right. It is, it has nothing to do with whether or not there is a God. Right. Um, and, and even when I listened to Smalley's conversation of going back and listen to ours with him and even thinking back, most of most of his energy is spent is actually spent questioning Christianity and even the King James version of the Bible, right? Um, which both of which are fine to question and 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 to put on trial, so to speak. But it's a a lot of his arguments, even if you just concede them. All right, okay, concede mm-hmm. it. Uh, yeah, okay, that's a bad way to do things. I disagree with that. So, what does that have to do with whether there is a God? That's that's fair. But what's interesting is when you said just a second ago, uh, Colson, I'll bet he's not the first to ask that. This is actually the question of the atonement. Not only is he not the first to ask it, but there have been, I don't know how many tens of thousands of books written 
in the discussion of this question. And in fact, many people still acknowledge it's one of those that there is still room for development. And, and so actually, I have a personal link in this. My final research paper, my Summa Theologica for my theology class, my final theology paper, I actually still have a copy of it. And in it, I actually deny what's called in Christianity the substitutionary penal atonement because of the exact same reason that Smalley said. I don't understand why God would be pleased um, or why punishing a guilt, an innocent person would make a just judge less angry, Uh Um, which I think that's why I think it's, it's a fair question. It's one that's been asked and, we could probably do, I don't know, when I teach the atonement, I usually take about four to six hours to teach mm. the atonement. And I'm not an expert. Um, I will recommend, there's a brand new book by Dr. William Lane Craig on the atonement. Um, and it's a great meta-analysis of the different arguments and the different discussions over the last 2,000 years of the atonement. And so who, who was Jesus when it comes to the sacrifice that he did? And why would that work? And so you have the, uh, and in fact, if somebody just wants to experience that at the more visceral level, mm-hmm. um, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe wrestles with that very question. Mm-hmm. In the end, the, the Jesus character Aslan chalks it up to the deep magic mm-hmm. um, that the death of an innocent can pay for the crimes of the guilty. But that's not new. Substitutionary atonement has been around. It's been in multicultures around the world, and it still is around today that there are ways that a guilt, an innocent person can pay a pr- crime for a guilty person. Mm-hmm. Um, and did we still ever, do it today. Did you ever change your mind? Oh, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that back. Um, well, it was funny as I wrote that, and then now I, went out, I didn't remember that I had written that. And when I read it, I was so stunned that I hadn't, the, I mean, the, the, the professor had given me a good grade. I was going to ask. And hadn't wow. even, like, it really makes me question whether they read it. Because what I, I was like, now, Gary, this guy had probably 40 students turning in 75-page Summa Theologica papers. Mm-hmm. He couldn't read them all that <laughs> closely. But, man, yes. Oh, yeah. Actually, I, I actually um, was convinced later of the uh, penal means legal, mm-hmm. uh, the subst- legal substitutionary atonement that Jesus actually morally and legally took our place and and I mentioned it in the sermon on Sunday. Like I, I totally make sense to me that a just God would hate sin, if for no other reason the fact that it hurts his the people who he loves so much. Mm-hmm. And that's not hard for me to wrap my brain around. Watching drugs destroy a family member's life, watching life decisions destroy people's lives. I hate those. I, I like. Mm. I really hate methamphetamine because of what it's done to my uh, um, brother-in-law. And and. I mean, I hate it. And if I could take methamphetamine and send it to hell, I would do it. And and I think there's something morally right about hating that. The problem is, you know, we we all bear those sins. And the problem is it isn't just that people sin against us or that we sin against us, it's that we sin against each other. Mm-hmm. And and that's immoral. That's wrong. It's it is evil. And we've all done it knowingly, we've all done it intentionally, we've all sometimes strategically and that deserves punishment, and and a just God is going to punish that. I, I do want to. I'm, I'm curious, Chris, your thoughts. You responded to David a little bit on in regards to to free will, mm-hmm. and I do think that's an area where a lot of 
uh, a lot of the arguments from the atheist perspective, they really wrestle with where to put what to put God responsible for and mm-hmm. what to put man responsible for, and it kind of bounces back and forth. So how do you see this whole God created this plan as in charge of the rules? Mm-hmm. How does that integrate with our yeah. our freedom? I think he was also, <clears throat> it's it sounded like he was also kind of complaining, like everything that you read about just sounds so primitive and like, Mm-hmm. Why is there so much blood and right. sacrifices? Right, the quote is: "It's very archaic. It's very barbaric. You would think that God would be above that." Yeah. So, going back, and again, I'll, I'll get back to what Chris said there. But going back to the original objection, I still also think it's not that God just came up with these rules arbitrarily. Like I'm, I've decided that today, I've. Now that I've created man, I'm going to say that lying is wrong because I flipped a coin and decided that. Right. Um, because I've I've seen some of these objections before where they're like, why are, why are you holding me accountable to this rule that you made up that you can just you know just let me go? In other words, sweep it under the rug or or cancel it. It's your rule. It's like me giving my kids a curfew. I could change the curfew because I gave it to them. The difference I would say is the Christian view is not that God. Um, even commands holy things of us or expects righteousness of us, but it flows out of him. Like he is, like in other words, you could say someone is patient, but it would be weird to say that person is patience as if like they mm. they are that thing. Like the embodiment right, right. of it. Exactly. Right, but we say things about God that he is love or he is holy. And so what we mean by that is his very nature is what establishes right and wrong, good and evil. And so he's not being petty and he's not being, um, you know, just I've decided this is how it's going to be. Um, because of his nature, being just, God is just, he he has to, and I don't want it to make it sound like he's something is over him making him do this, but by right. its very nature, this is what holiness does. And so it's not even God punishing an innocent man for the guilt of someone else. I would even go on the other side and say, the because in other words, God couldn't have just picked Joe Hebrew over here and I'll punish him for right. your crimes. Right. It's the righteousness of Jesus that had to also count as mine. Mm-hmm. So the the full substitution That's right. is yes my crimes, the the penalty for my sin gets credited to Jesus, but it's also his righteousness gets credited to me. Yes. Because his well, that's a great point. His well, his yep. perfection, his holiness demands that I be that way. And again, we it's not like he made this up and he's like, I'm shocked that no one is keeping these standards. Like he mm-hmm. knew from the beginning right, that right. we were gonna mess it up because it's a plan from before, um, from the foundation of the world. Um anyways, so what did you say about well freedom and oh, so freedom. How freedom, freedom. freedom plays into this? I, yeah, my what I said is God made sin the potential, but we made it actual. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you're going to make people that are truly free, then you've got to give them. If I said your choices are door A or door A, you'd be like, I, I don't have a choice. Like that's my only choice. Um, so he could have made us like that, um, where we just do whatever he programs us to do. But wanting a relationship with us and love is voluntary. Like you're choosing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not forced. Otherwise it's not love. And so I think in giving us the freedom there, he invites us to be individuals who experience him individually. But there, that just means now you've got the opportunity to blow it. 
And if it wasn't Adam and Eve, it would have been someone else or me or somebody would have <laughs> misused mm-hmm. their freedom. But that's that's the other piece there where, where God, because he made this world the way he did, and again, then you can argue, well, couldn't he have made a world? Well, but this is the world that he made. Mm-hmm. And he did make a perfect world, um, but we messed it up. But he made this world with human human beings that are free. And um, we're the ones that made the the sin actual. Right. That's that's I think it, I explained that to him a I little think bit. So yeah, mm-hmm. this is a you did, and a lot of what we're gonna come back to, and this isn't just with David, but this is in our own hearts and our own questions, is when we're when we're making God there's a there's a dichotomy that's created when we make God God about some things, but he's not God about something else at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so he's God in that, well, he's the one who decided the plan. He's the one who made the plan. He's the one who created this whole system. Why would he do that? Okay. Well, if he's going to be the God who creates the plan and creates the system, then he also at the same moment gets to be the God who knows how to create the right plan. And so if you're going to make him God that's responsible for one thing, you've got to also make him the kind of God who is powerful enough for that thing, mm. who is all-knowing enough, who's a whatever enough. And we're going to run into that with, with a number of David's comments as we, as we un, unpack these. And again, um, I, don't, I don't want this to be like we, we are in no way bashing David or, or atheists or any of that. Um, and so we'll come back, I'll come back and we'll unpack that some more, but... I noticed one of his comments about coming to churches was that he loves to show that atheists aren't these evil jerks who eat kittens and, you know, sacrifice babies or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and I'm just curious, like, do you guys, when you when you think of that, and maybe there was a day for that, but do you, is that the, is that the impression you get is that that is the cultural perspective? Is that, that atheists are, are demon worshipers? Like, is that the, is that, is that something that you feel like he does need to kind of help people not know? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Not the ones I've met, or teachers that I've had, or mm-hmm. right, or friends co- that I've had co-workers. who just don't believe in yeah in God. So I guess he's just talking about humanizing uh, mm-hmm. that, and and I do think an important part of for the decon- reconstructed faith podcast for us is getting to to reference what the first I don't know half of if you just listened to it recently or last week. Almost the first half of the conversation is about the fact that he wasn't free to ask questions. He didn't have the the place to drive through these things, and he mm-hmm. didn't even have a a good source for answers. I mean, right. can you imagine somebody coming to someone here and saying, "Okay, is Jesus the Son of God, or is he the same as God?" And having a pastor say, "Oh, he's he's the same as God. He's not the Son of God." Now, I don't know that that's what David's pastor actually said, but that's what David remembers. And then he goes and talks to somebody else who actually their religious perspective is closer to, no, he is the son of God. He is not the same as God. Mm-hmm. And But it's just fascinating to me that apparently no one said, yes, David, he is the son of God, and he is the same as God, and let's talk about how that's possible, to talk through the doctrine of the Trinity and mm. and what that means and, and how that is possible. And we've discussed it a little bit on the podcast, but that's just it was fascinating to me that... Mm-hmm. As for us who are deconstructing and reconstructing our faith um, on a constant basis, man, that's that just was a great reminder to me to make sure that we're inviting others to do that as well in our lives. That right. we're not afraid, we're not shutting people down. Um, I mean, it, it it stood out to me listening to it. In fact, my, it, it kind of 
broke my heart a little bit was mm-hmm. hearing the difference between David and I in our childhood. Both of us uh, probably attention deficit, ornery, annoying kids who ask questions all the time. And the difference was I had a dad who discussed those things with me and he did not. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of Sunday school teachers who would discuss those things with me and he did not. And it just, it just kind yeah. of, you know, makes you wonder. About yeah. Well, even the is. way the pastor responded to him sounded exasperated. Like, mm. uh, okay, what? All right. Come into my office. Let's, let's, exactly. let's get this done. Get this settled yeah. once and for yeah, all. That's yeah. such a bummer. <laughs> that just sounded right, horrific. Right. I know. And again, I don't know the guy. Maybe the guy had that attitude. Maybe not. Maybe that's just what David read on it or is, you know, re- re- we all remember things differently. Right. Man, that was, that was key to me. But if it's true, so it's like, yeah, it's unfortunate. We need to be making sure we're doing that. And and it is important. He didn't bring this up, but it is important to understand. As Christians, we can't fall into the fallacy of saying things like, well, because because atheists don't have an objective standard of morality, therefore they are immoral people. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not the same thing. In fact, the Christian argument is exactly the opposite, is to go, is to say, given that you really don't have an objective standard for or morality. Why are you right. moral? We're like, surprised that you're. <laughs> yeah. Why we we should go? No. Of course you're moral. That's our whole argument. Is you are moral whether you believe in biblical or religious or God morality or not. You still are moral. Why? Mm-hmm. Um, if we're just and that's where we again you'll get to hear this in the coming podcasts with him near the end of if we're just complicated, you know, coyotes, then. I'm not sure morality makes a lot of sense, right. especially we can evaluate it. Anyway, yeah. What what else you got, Colson? I kind so, of wandered off. I mean, sorry. no, you're totally fine. That's great. I think I think that's great. One of the things that I loved about the conversation is I think it'll it's bringing to light things that we can go into depth more about that people have questions about. The one of one of those things that we just briefly talked about it, and I so I wanted to bring it up again is the Trinity, and you know, you guys hearing that that pastor that he referenced oh, yeah. uses kind of the, the ag analogy and stuff like that. I'm sure that people who are deconstructing their faith, want, that's a question that they have of like, okay, well, I've heard mm-hmm. the, you know, Trinitarian argument, but I don't really understand it. Are there some like good, and I know that all analogies break down, but are there like, and and we don't have to go into it now. I think this could be a good topic that we talk about later, but is there like, some resources that are good? Are there some chapters of scripture that are good to maybe reference or just even ways to think about it that can be a little bit easier to unpack? Well, I think the reason Chris and I both groaned when he said (laughs) that example, we went, oh, is, so here's an example. Uh, Modalism is a heresy when it comes to the Trinity, and that is the idea that God uh, has just taken different modes or different forms. So in the Old Testament, he was more of the fa- he shows up as the Father, presents himself mm-hmm. that way. But then in the Gospels, he shows up as the Son and relates to us that way. And then from Acts on, God relates to us as the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit. So, but but what that means is it's all the same person. He just shows up in different relationships with us or forms. Mm-hmm. And that's not what the Trinity teaches. The the, the right. biblical view is that it's three persons that share the same essence. So it's one God, and um, then you get the three persons. So the reason I said that, he mentions the analogy of at the same time I can be a father, a son, and a brother. Yeah. Um, 
that's modalism. Mm, so right. that's always a bad example because sure you can be, but that's not the Trinity. You're you're the same person all the way through. Mm, right. The other problem even with the egg is the shell, the egg, and the yolk, uh, the white part and the mm-hmm. yolk, um, all make up the egg together. But the shell by itself is not the whole egg. Right. Right. And so you have to have all three added together. And that's mm. again, it's not. Um, Jesus is only one third God, mm. and the Father is only one third God. And the, right. So that's why that example is a bad one. And again, it's just one of those things where you go, there's no, there's not a one to one example that you could go. This is exactly what it's like because there's nothing exactly like the Trinity of the universe. And mm-hmm. so when we try to use that, even water mm-hmm. takes three, you know, solid liquid right, gas. Right. I just go, okay, that's mm-hmm. still modalism. Right. Right. It's taking different forms, and so that's another mm-hmm. bad example. So a lot of a lot of things can be three in one, right. is what you guys well, are that's saying. A, that's yeah. a good, again, something that should be deconstructed. That's mm, not right. the right way to think about God. And I think we, in yeah. an attempt to be helpful with children, mm. we do things like that. And we slipped right. into no, modalism. That's got, what you're talking you just about. Okay. Illustrated. Or, or tritheism, okay. which right. is the other one, which is, it's like, no, there are three gods. Right. And they're three independent gods. This is, this is what kills me about this. People freak out about this doctrine uh-huh. all the time. They're like, this is just so weird. It's so strange. It's like, okay, so all of the analogies show us. I always ask, okay, what's the strange part? Is it is it strange that he is three and one? That shouldn't be strange. We just gave a whole bunch of examples of things that are three and one. Now, they're not three and one in the exact same right. way. He is three and one. Right. They are three and one at the same time. It is possible to be three and one at the same time. Is what's hard for you is that it's unique. His expression of it is unique. Mm-hmm. Why is that hard? Do you not know anyone else who is unique? So that if I said, oh, Ginger's kind of like Maggie mm. in this way, and, and she's kind of like Katie, I'm referencing their wives in yeah. this way, but she isn't Katie, and she isn't Maggie, that's... She's unique, and right. everything I would do to describe her would still be an analogy, and you would mm. have to know the individual to know the individual. Yeah. So it, I don't, I don't understand what's so hard about. So this that doctrine. is not strange at all. I it's mean, not it's not strange yeah. that God is, has a unique expression mm. of a trait that we can have analogies for to show that it's possible. It's not possible to be a foster mom. Well, yeah, it is. Katie's a foster mom. Mm-hmm. So since Katie's a foster mom, it's possible that Ginger's a foster mom, right? Mm-hmm. That's an analogy. Oh, so Ginger is Katie. No, no. See, they're just they just share this trait. Right, right. Yeah, they're both unique. God is three and one, like an egg is three and one. No, they are both three and one, but in different ways. Right, and and that's just for it's been weird to me my whole life that people freak out about this doctrine. Really, I'm like I don't I don't see what's so hard. I I am able to accept that God is a unique individual, mm-hmm. and therefore there are traits about him that are different. I mean, he's God. Mm-hmm. Surely he's got to be different in some other ways right. too, right? right? I am powerful. God is powerful. Therefore, I am God. No, I'm powerful, and God is powerful, but that doesn't make those identical. They're both descriptors you could use for us, but it's not the same. He's mm-hmm. unique, and I'm unique. And so I've, just, I've never grasped why this is so hard for people to say God is three, and God is one, and this is the way in which he is three and one. There is one God, one essence, and there are three persons, and apparently that is part of the essence of being God, by the way, is to be three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a, like, I, okay, 
I'm willing to accept that. I have to accept all kinds of things about people all the time. It mm. goes back to that whole, I feel like this radical autonomy thing that, that we're in or the expressive individualism, that mm-hmm. anything you say about you, I'm supposed to accept. Everybody is supposed to have that right except God, mm-hmm. who doesn't get to have any indiv- radical individualism mm-hmm. or expressive individualism. Everybody else does, but but God doesn't. Well, this is just true about God. So anyway, I've I've never understood that one as being so painful and so mm. difficult for people, but it is for some people. Yeah, and I think it's another example of people going, because it's weird to me, I don't want to believe it. Or uh, because yeah. I can't wrap my mind around it. Mm. Or because God is... You know what I'm saying? Like right. it's it's okay. It, he it doesn't disprove that he exists just because you can't. I don't think we want a God that we can fully comprehend. Right. right? <laughs> I mean, then mm. then that would be weird. I can't fully yeah. comprehend my wife who I've married, been married to for <laughs> right. 28 years. Right. And I don't think I ever will. Right. I mean, I I now have five kids. I've known their entire lives, and I don't. They still surprise me on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Anyway, I okay. That's that's, that's a that's one. Thank you for addressing that. I wish, and and there are the the problem with saying what's a good book on that or anything mm. is, I mean, every every theology text that's ever been written has a chapter on it. Every yeah. Christian theology text, and they all say stuff like this. Um, there are things that are out there that are bad, and, and mm-hmm. people have argued about it for a long time. And people arguing about stuff doesn't make it. That doesn't make mean there's not a right answer. Right it just means some people don't know it. It is interesting. I think. Almost across the board, that's usually where uh, a cult is going to di- is going to pop up. Like that's what mm, that's yeah. where they're going to diverge. Their yeah. their view of God is going to be wrong. Mm. It's going to either be there is only one God, like Jehovah's Witnesses would say, there's only one God, not a Trinity. Jesus is a created being. Mormons would say there's many gods, right? And we just have three that we talk about in the Bible, but there's many mm-hmm. much more. But I think that's where most of them are gonna okay that issue yeah. and salvation, of course. But okay, I, w- I was also interested him referencing. Oh, I'm, you know, you probably had another one to go. No, no, no. I, I want to jump into that. I, I have a few others. Some of them are kind of repetitive of what we've been okay talking about. So this is great. Um, and I didn't. I again, I didn't push back because we wanted to listen to him mm-hmm. and I wanted to let him share because I knew we would have time to unpack and to talk about this. I'm curious about. When you know when he said I walk up, I he said but describe himself the only difference between him and I was that he walks up to the edge of faith, and he he can't accept it without better evidence or more evidence. There aren't barriers. It's that he can't accept it without more evidence. But I am am willing to accept it even though I don't have evidence. Mm-hmm. And so I just I want to go ahead and say like for for right now. We're, we're going to, that's actually some of the next podcasts we're going to be recording is actually, it did require significant evidence for me to embrace that. Mm-hmm. And there is significant evidence that's there. And I actually think from a rational perspective, I don't believe in rationalism, meaning that it's the ultimate source of truth. Mm-hmm. But I do believe that rational thinking leads you to theism at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. But I, I, I'd almost push back like, that's a little insulting, mm. David. Uh, come on, man. And again, I love David, and and we'll talk about things that, and he could do the same thing, things that drive him nuts about me, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. but that's well, that's one of those like, uh, I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's mm. a right way to say it. I think, I think there is sufficient evidence for anyone to move forward, and for whatever reason, he has not been convinced by that. And that's mm. fully, I get that fully. 
Um, but I don't think that's because somehow I'm just easier than he is. Um, that Christians are somehow less sophisticated or less demanding or less discerning, that we're just easier. We're willing to accept things mm-hmm. that we know probably aren't true just because we want to. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's a fair representation of at least the type of faith that I have. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I was curious. I wanted to follow up, but we didn't want to take, we already knew it was going to go long. So right. Right. right Anything right. you would say to that, Chris, or no, I mean, if you look at the, the instances in the New Testament, you've got the disciples when they knew dead people stayed dead. And so they had given up hope when Jesus died. They weren't like, right. oh, but it's okay. He'll come right back to life. Like they mm-hmm. really had to be convinced. Um, it's Again, same thing with, I mean, Joseph and Mary. That she said she's pregnant, and he's like, okay, well, I'm going to have to put her. And so until right. God intervened miraculously, like he was – you know, just people mm-hmm. weren't just prone to believe anything that they saw or right. heard and attributed to something miraculous. They really were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I hadn't thought about this until just this second, but remember that he said at the beginning, David said he was a believer until he was like 16. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then, then he described he had never really read the Bible for himself. He didn't, except for example, know is Jesus the son of God or the same as God. He didn't know that at that, that conversation. And so now I'm wondering, you know, it'd be a good follow-up email with him or something. What does he mean when he says believer? What did he believe in? Mm-hmm. If it wasn't believing in Jesus as the Son of God, then what was he believing in? And maybe so there's an intuition for him that when we say, that when I say I believe this, that maybe to him it's just the assumption is I believe it the same way he did until he was 16, uh-huh. which was without thinking about it, without knowing what the beliefs were. It was, it's intriguing to hear him talk about being baptized and going like, oh, I'm really signing up for something here. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is, that's a realization now. Like you're, <laughs> right. You've just realized, oh gosh, this is, this is for real. I'm signing up for something and I don't know what I'm signing up for. Mm-hmm. And that's an intriguing wrestling match. And I think we all have it. Mm-hmm. Again, that's what this podcast is all about, that you read something new, you learn something new and say, okay, what do I do with that? Is this what I signed up for? Right. And I think it's vital to recognize it's not like Jesus was negative about that. In fact, he instructed it. You need to count the cost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You need to know what you're getting into when you get into it. And so, again. I mean, and then you can all you can even go back to what you were talking about ahead of time. Or, sorry, not ahead of time, but before then you were saying, like, I mean, you had a dad who you talked to, and he yeah. would probably ask you those questions of, like, okay, wait, not only is he – talking to you about things, but probably asking you questions to get you thinking critically. So by the time you were, you know, getting baptized, you've already thought through a lot of those things. Yeah. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? So it's like, I think that can be just another layer of your story. Yeah. And how that is, how that kind of played out for you versus where he might not have had that. Yeah. That's a, that is, I think that's significant and good for us to be talking about. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. even at church that it sounds like, Hadn't gone over a lot of that. I really like that at South Spring we've gone through like the New City Catechism with the kids. Because if yeah. you read that, uh, mm-hmm. it's by the way, it's an app you can get. Okay. Just ask questions. It's the old school way of teaching our kids, catechizing them. But you ask them questions that they then they have the answer to. But um, one of the first few questions is, for example, how many persons are there in God? And mm-hmm. they've got a little catchy song that goes with it and stuff yeah. that my kids know. But it's really fun. 
but I guess it's one of those things where so many times mm-hmm. churches just tell them Bible stories, but don't really talk about mm-hmm. the meat behind it yeah, or whatever, or doctrine or anything like that. So okay, well, okay, well, resource. thank you. Well, switching gears now, um, what do you, how would you address when people are talking about? Well, Christians are always talking about context, mm. you know, and so it's mm-hmm. like it the way that it was brought up kind of sounded like, well, context is a cop-out. It's a way for you to prove your, you know, your understanding of the Bible mm-hmm. versus my understanding because you're just talking about, okay, well, in my context kind of a thing. It almost seems like, well, this is your truth kind of a thought. Whereas, I mean, if if you go to a, you know, Bible interpretation class, a lot of times it's like, hey, context determines the meaning of the passage. And so it's not uncommon and in, and in Christian circles, context is not seen as a cop out. But how would you address that as yeah. you're hearing it? You know, especially if you're having a conversation. I, I think it's essential. So it's not a cop out. I think every mm-hmm. time, every time you read a story, you have to go, okay, well, it's we have to talk about that individual story, and who's the audience, and what was going on, and what was their understanding of, um. God at that point, or what did God reveal? I mean, you always just want to know. Anytime, it's just the way we're wired. Like, if you walk up to a a group of people and they're laughing about something, Mm -hmm. you just go, what are you guys laughing at? Like, you want to know the context, (laughs) or you look like a nerd walking up and just laughing with them. But that's just what you always do. And Mm -hmm. so... Because, I mean, we even do that even with how we interpret the law and handling cases and stuff like that. You're trying to see what was going on in the... You know, in the specific circumstance and all yeah, that. So, yeah. yeah, I just think that's it's it's not a cop out. <laughs> or what would you say? Uh, oh gosh, well, y'all know my analogy that I use all the time of finding the love letter. Oh, yeah. oh that's wife. right. That's yeah, right. We may have even done that on the podcast. Yeah, I yeah. think we have. It's like, yeah, context matters. <laughs> context matters. If if it's not a love letter, if it's a grocery list, I kind of need to know that. And when we discuss that one passage, and that's that's why I, we really wanted to avoid that in that conversation with David, uh, uh-huh. hey, let's dig down into every single one of these passages right. um, that he could throw out. Uh-huh. And, and I also will say that's one of the things I, I love about David uh, and also drives me crazy, but is, is that that conversation is a conversation David and I had five years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost identical is the Isaiah passage that God creates evil. And, and so we unpacked that and we looked at the Hebrew and we discussed it and, Talked about C.S. Lewis, like we we both have a script for how we talk about that, mm-hmm. and and it's still coming up. He's mm-hmm. still he's still throwing the King James version out uh, there, and that's one of those that he needs to stop using. He said he'd stopped using some of them, and that's one of them. It is it is not. There's nothing about that passage that implies that God is the creator of moral evil. Mm. Um, and jumping over to the fact that God created Lucifer does not change that at all. No, yeah, that that only if God created moral evil in Lucifer would that somehow make God responsible for evil. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no good indication that God is responsible for moral evil. And Chris, I thought you did a great job of explaining, of course, if you have a good God, the potential for evil then exists. God being good is never going to actualize that evil. There never mm-hmm. will actually be any evil because he's not going to engage in that. Mm-hmm. But the minute he creates something that has the freedom to choose and it isn't God, then then the then evil becomes actualized when any one of those created beings chooses evil, mm-hmm. and and evil also is not a thing because that's where people right. try to argue that mm. 
it's well, if God then God didn't create everything. It's in I think you said it. It's an absence of something. The way that right. darkness is like you wouldn't say a shadow is a thing. Right. Although we talk about shadows as if they're things, it's an absence of light. Right. Or blind mm-hmm. blindness isn't a thing. It's the absence of sight. Mm-hmm. If, if I were to say you have blindness, what I actually mean is you you, you lack have, sight. Right. So in the same way that sin is is not you know, loving perfectly or not following God. It's not doing something that God, right? Um, God's sin. nature. And mm. It's something that's not in line with God's nature. Right. That's a, yeah. Sin is anything outside of the character of God. Yeah. Evil mm. is anything that does not line up with God's goodness. Mm. And, and again, yeah, it, that's, I think that's a vital understanding. Um, but it's, that's not, it's not a new conversation and it's not even a new conversation for David it's not even new conversation for me and David. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, again, I said in the, in the introduction where I wasn't, we weren't meeting with David in order to convince David. I would love for that to happen and pray for that to happen. Um, but we're doing it to kind of show this is, these are some of the things, this is a person who has deconstructed their faith. What are the issues that led to that? And he was very generous with his time and to drive out here and to give us this, some of these lists for us to unpack. Um, I'd love to take just a second before we run out because the the podcast that you just listened to last time ended on the question not of moral evil, but of natural, what's kind of euphemistically called natural evil, as mm-hmm. if there could really be such a thing. Yeah. But bad things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not directly caused by human intervention. Now, now with climate change arguments, I don't I don't know that you can make that argument quite so cleanly, <laughs> but mm-hmm. but okay, so you know when the when the Native American tribe died in a flood, God, we we do have to lay the responsibility for that in God's hands. Mm-hmm. And we talked even about the biblical flood, which is obviously directly caused by God, directly led to the massive loss of human life. And so, how do we engage with not moral evil, but just what what's kind of called natural evil? why God allows bad things like that to happen. So that we kind of ended the podcast on that mm-hmm. note. So let's take just a minute and mm-hmm. unpack that for a second as to why doesn't that cause us to walk away from God? So what would be your, yeah. what are your thoughts, Chris? I think we're back to, does God have the right? Okay. If God is the author of life and is all, all knowing and all powerful, does he have a right to decide when my life is over? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, my, my, the Christian view is that life continues on. It's just I'm in this life, and then there's another life. Does, does God have the right to decide at what point he takes me from this life into the next life? And my answer is, yeah, he has that right. That's, that's his um, prerogative. Um, so the reason we get so upset, though, is because we have this idea in our mind that you're supposed you're you you're owed 70 or 80 years and so we use phrases right. like they died before their time which is the christian view would be no you died exactly when y- it was your time like right. god decided that when jesus was asked about this um i think it was the tower of Sol- Siloam. uh-huh yeah is that did he bring it up or did they come and ask him no they he bring they bring up Another evil and a he, pilot he, mixing people's blood right like, with their sacrifices and he that he throws in this example yeah. of Jesus wasn't phased by that. In other words, people 
come to Jesus and they say, like, why did that happen or what was going on? And his response was basically, do you think that you're more righteous than them? Like, did you think that it was because they were bad? And it's almost like it's a non-issue for Jesus. Like, that's that's life. Like, you should repent. You should remember, like, life isn't Mm -hmm. guaranteed to you. It wasn't... Oh, let me explain mm-hmm. all the reasons. Right. Yeah. So, which I'm sure. Where, Jesus, where is that? So that if people are listening, they can kind of go back and read that. Great. Sorry, I'm I'm putting you on the spot. No, no you're great. Um, I don't know if you just. I'll find it up. real quick. Should be easy to find. Oh, we'll try Luke 13. Wrong. Y'all look at look over at Luke 13. I'm pretty sure is it. Yeah, there it is. You're right. So that um, you said the Tower of Siloam. Uh huh. Okay, great. So at the, the pool, 13. it would this would have been at the Pool of Siloam. One of the towers, apparently, I mean, we don't have any historical connection for this outside of Scripture, but Jesus just references in, in this passage in Luke that a tower of Siloam, at the Pool of Siloam, apparently, I assume that Siloam means sent, so it's probably a tower at the Pool of Siloam, mm-hmm. fell and killed a bunch of people. 18 people. Yeah. So what he says is, uh, do you think that these Galileans, because they come to Jesus and talk about these Galileans whose blood Pilate mixed with their sacrifices. Yeah, killed them killed them in the midst of yeah. so in other words this is the idea they were performing sacrifices to God mm-hmm. the most righteous thing a Jew could do mm-hmm. and Pilate had them killed while they were performing sacrifices apparently. Mm-hmm. And so they're going like whoa whoa you mean we're not even protected from human evil when we're perf- in the act of performing sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And so the idea being Gosh, I, it's the most righteous I get is when I'm performing sacrifices. Surely, during those moments, I'm, I'm safe because mm. God is going to protect the righteous, right? And Jesus, that's so. Go ahead. What Jesus's response is? Yeah, he just says, "Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way?" Uh, no, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he brings up the tower. Um. So that goes back to, again, the sovereignty and freedom of God that he, it's even with Job, like after he gets the news of all of his children dying, right? Um, he says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And so that's... Blessed be the name of yeah, the Lord. Yeah, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so it's the it's maybe not what we like or when we think it should have happened, but that's where I would say God has the right to do that because he's the author of life. And again, people don't like that idea, but it's... Well, now we're back to who does God think He is, mm-hmm. right? And we we go, yeah. He's okay. God. Okay, again, this is we're going to come back to this over and over again in this podcast. I'm sure, if you're going to make God responsible for the the tower falling at the pool of Siloam, for even even the act of other humans like Pontius Pilate killing Jews and floods, then you also have to make Him wise enough to know whether that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So if you're gonna if you're gonna make him God when it comes to responsibility for these acts, then you can't make him just human when it comes to understanding how and when to make these things happen. And so if I have perfect insight and perfect knowledge, then I'm the only one who knows when to cause death, yeah. and mm-hmm. and when it's right to, and when it's just to, and when it's appropriate to. And so we want to make God responsible for all of these bad things. Gosh, He's so powerful. He's so wise. Shouldn't he know better? Mm-hmm. Well, if he's that powerful and that wise, apparently if he knew better, he wouldn't have done it. He doesn't know better. He knows this is better. Right. And that's actually, so that's why we talked about the difference between the, the the logical argument for suffering versus the 
emotional argument. Because a logical argument is really kind of settled in that you would have to, so if you said it is morally wrong for God to uh, allow this person to die under these set, it's morally wrong for God to allow a, a tsunami to hit an island, okay? Mm-hmm. Prove it. So you've now got to prove that God does not have morally justified reasons for allowing that tsunami to happen or even causing that tsunami to happen. And the problem is you don't have enough information to prove that he didn't do it morally right, that he didn't have information to prove that it was the morally right thing to do. Now, and that's a gift from a logical perspective that's almost impossible to overcome. I think it is impossible to overcome. That doesn't help us if it was my family member who died in a flood emotionally. And so that's not meant to be comforting except at the intellectual level. But again, going back to when we discussed this at the church with David, and you can go back and watch that on the website, David actually defaulted to the idea of a dentist and saying a child cannot under possibly understand how it's morally appropriate to take them to the dentist. They, they hate going. It's evil. It's horrible. There's no emotional comfort in it. You just have to tell them, kid, trust me. This is the best for you. And, and that was him saying that. When he got done, he's kind of like, I guess I kind of made the argument for you, didn't you? And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, in fact, you did. Um, the defense rests. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> uh, but it is a... Uh, that, there That's is, the idea that there. That is still the truth, even if it's not comfortable, it's still true. And I don't like it. I don't know anybody likes it, but I don't like going to the dentist. I'm an adult now. I make, have to make myself go. That's no fun. But, um, and, and I'm so thankful for all the dentists out there, by the way. You always get the bad rap on these examples. But um, anyway, it's it's a good – I think this is an important understanding. If we're going to make God God for half the equation, you also have to make him God for the other half of the equation, and then all of a sudden it makes sense. If you don't want him to be God in the first half of the equation, that's fine. Then he's also not God in the second half of the equation, and there's nothing to hold him accountable for. Um, and so we've talked before about how one of the things we run into regularly is this is this kind of – um, there is no God, and I'm really mad at him. Right. Or there is no God, and I'm really frustrated with him. Or there is no God, and he does it wrong. And and you don't get to, if, he, if he's God, then you're going to have to let him be God. And if he isn't, then he isn't, and you can't hold him accountable for being. Mm. Anyway. And people pick and choose. They, they get mad, like, why doesn't God stop evil? But then you've got an Old Testament example of God judging the Canaanite, Canaanites who offered up their, yeah. their babies on the molten hot arms of these, you know, gods and God stopped them. Like God, right. God did Sent something about it. To wipe them out. And so it's like, he doesn't stop evil and you're mad at him. But then when he does stop evil, you're mad at him. Like right. you, you, again, you're the, you're putting your, your, yourself in that place where you get the right to decide. Mm. Man, that's a lot. Okay. That's a lot. And thank this you. Is a short segment. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for, uh, for tackling yeah. those hard questions. I know there will be more. Uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructive Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers.